Hello and welcome to the No Longer Be Children podcast. This is your host, Josiah Meyer, and we are in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. And uh, as I'm starting this post, um, I am driving back from a conference uh, with um, my church, uh, the church I'm currently going to, uh, which is part of the ANIC in Canada. Um, and so this is a church that uh, I just kind of stumbled into, basically. Um, we were going through burnout in uh, late 2015, and we were in Quebec trying to be missionaries, trying to make a difference, and absolutely starving as a family, and very much in need of community. And uh, so we, people recommended, we had some friends that said, hey, if you want community, you need to come to St. James Church. And... Um, and, they, and I said, what kind of church is it? And they said, well, it's an Anglican church. And I was like, wow, you know, aren't Anglicans kind of liberal? And I mean, they're basically like on board with the United Church and everybody else that's in the gay parade, you know, marches and all that sort of stuff. So I, I was like, nah, I'm not really sure I want to go to an Anglican church. And they, they said, well, this is a branch off of the Anglican church. These are Anglicans that actually split off over the, the issue of homosexuality. Um, and so these are conservative Anglicans, and I had no idea such a thing existed. And probably as you listen to this, well, many of you didn't know there was such a thing. And um, so we've been going to this conservative Anglican church. Uh, the first time I went there, I mean, we were just absolutely blown away by the hospitality. Uh, got invited out to lunch. It was our first time in three years in Quebec being invited by somebody out to lunch. Um, we made friends. We found fellowship. And interestingly enough... Um, I mean, we felt like terrible missionaries. I mean, here we are in Quebec uh, trying to reach the French, and we end up going to an English church, uh, and an Anglican church, the Church of England, of all things. Um, but interestingly enough, uh, now we've been going there for about a year and a half. I preach about once a month. Uh, I'm a warden in the church. <laughs> I don't know why they call it a warden. Um, but, it, you know, it it's a terminology that dates from an earlier time, and why change something that works, right? It's just a different way of doing things in the Anglican Church. Um, I'm kind of slowly figuring out what uh, what all Anglicanism is, which is what this post is going to be about. Um, but uh, interestingly enough, a lot of people in our church are Catholics. Some, um, some are like explicitly rejected Catholicism and came to our church. And so it was an easy transition for them because Catholicism has liturgies, Anglicanism has some liturgies. Um, some of them still say they're Catholic, but they're coming to our church. Um, and so it's fascinating as we went to Quebec to, you know, spread the gospel uh, and, and preach, um, well, I mean, you know, share the gospel with the people of Quebec who are primarily French we're finding that this Anglican Church is actually a great way to um, to reach people um, uh, that are Quebecois, that are Catholic, that are Catholic background. Anyways, all that to say, uh, this past week, uh, my pastor was heading out to this conference, and um, I did. I mean, I had stuff on my schedule, but I was like, I think I could swing it, and I was like, Can I come with you? And he's like, Yeah, come on. So um, I went out to this conference, which ended up being their 10th anniversary of celebration of the formation of ANIC, ANIC, Anglican Network in Canada. 
And so um, I got a whole big dose of, um, well, Anglicanism, uh, which was the first time for me, and also um, a lot of their history. And it was a, a big time of kind of looking over the past, past 10 years and saying, all right, what happened, what was good, what was bad, uh, and, and looking at the, the events that led to the separation in the first place. And so um, this is what I'm kind of, as I'm driving back, um, kind of sorting through, kind of mulling over. And um, I just posted a little bit on Facebook. And uh, a lot of people were, it was one of those posts that you just, you know, write a little something or other. And you end up with tons, I ended up with tons and tons of comments under it. People were really interested in it. People had not heard um, about this conservative Anglican movement. Uh, they, they thought what I thought, that all Anglicans were basically, you know, sliding towards the left and open and embracing towards homosexuality and, um, you know, along with that, a low view of scriptures, along with that, basically humanism and other things creeping in. By the way, I use the word liberalism. Some people that use the word liberalism use it very loosely and just it's just a pejorative term that they kick around like a football. Um, I have a very precise and uh, defined meaning of the word liberalism and I have five podcasts earlier in the season that explain what liberalism is to me. So um, if, you, if you want to, I would encourage you. Um, it's very important. Uh, probably, the, probably the most formative and important podcast on this in this whole podcast, um, so I'd encourage you to go back there and look at those ones. If you're strapped for time, just listen to the last one uh, on Jay Gresham Machen, the man who wrote Christianity and Liberalism. Also, uh, one of my, I think that's the most popular podcast in in, uh, in my podcast, uh, most most uh, popular episode within my podcast, I should say. So um, I'm going to go through a little bit of the history of. Um, Anik, uh, for those of you that don't know, and it took me a while, uh, took a few conversations with people to kind of, uh, out exactly what was, what would happen, uh, and what's happening now, uh, it's a story that's ongoing. So, as you know, well, let me back up, actually, um, <laughs> back up from where I was going to start. Anglicanism has always been, um, It was conceived as a Noah's Ark, a big place for many people that believe differently uh, to all find a home. And this was, uh, you know, way back in the days of the Reformation, the the 1600s, because you had originally, it was obviously Catholicism, and then that was rejected uh, for the Protestant Reformation. Uh, But you had people that were high um, Anglicans that were basically in how they did church they basically were Catholics and then you had people all the way down to you know just meeting in basements and um, you know having a very simple form of church and this is actually tearing England apart Um, we read the Puritan writers and we're impressed with their theology and love their books Uh, but at the time that they were writing they were decapitating Decapitating the king and starting wars under Oliver Cromwell, and this was a really big deal. Uh, and then they, a lot of them, shipped over to um, the states, you know, on the Mayflower and all that stuff. Um, and then pretty soon they had the War of Independence. And to many people, that war was a religious war of 
um, finally here we're going to have the religion the way we think it should be. And so under Queen Elizabeth, part of why Queen Elizabeth is so important to Anglicanism and also to the whole English world um, is because she was able to take this fractured nation and create a denomination that was big enough for everybody. Um, and so there was room for the Puritans that had a very you know, um, intellectual, uh, scriptures-only sort of a way of approaching and, and modern uh, way of approaching their religion. It also had room for the smells and bells, kind of more Catholic-leaning um, Anglicans. And you, you had the whole spectrum there. Everybody was welcome. Everybody was blessed. There, there was room for everybody. So that's kind of how Anglicanism has been, uh, as opposed to Catholicism, which since the Castle of Trent um, has been getting narrower and narrower, where this is what it means to be Catholic, you have an authority figure, you have this is what the doctrines are, we publish out the, the catechism of the Catholic Church, and this is what you believe, down to the very fine details of belief. Uh, Anglicanism has, has not been that way. There are There is the Book of Prayer, there's the 39 articles, there's certain kind of central doctrines and central ideas, but there's lots of latitude and room for, for growth within that. Also, the Bishop of Canterbury does not work as an authority figure in the same way that the Pope does. He is supposed to be uh, the first among equals, that yes, he does have some sort of a primacy over the others, uh, the other bishops, but um, he is equal. Um, he can, you know, call meetings, he can um, make some, I guess he can basically appoint people and call meetings, and, um, but he, he doesn't have the right to uh, declare things infallibly like the Pope does, or even um, make doctrines the way the Pope does. Those, those things need to be happen through councils, uh, calling all the bishops together. All right, so that's just the backdrop. That's you know, your, your broad strokes of what Anglicanism is, how it's different from other denominations. So um, the problem with the, the large arc movement or idea is that it leaves room for all sorts of people. And um, increasingly, as um, you know, you can listen to the podcast about Immanuel Kant, Friedrich, Friedrich Schleiermacher, uh, and humanism and liberalism and things that came into the church uh, through uh, continental liberalism in the 1800s and 1900s. Um, and all these influences came in to the North American and European um, Anglican denominations. Uh, and a lot of the, and these things are, are a large part of the reason why these denominations are struggling as they are today. The churches are very empty because they've abandoned the gospel um, there are people within them, as as well in the churches in, in Revelation. Um, you know, not everybody has has bowed down to, or or has kissed the woman Jezebel or her words. That's a bad illustration because I don't have my Bible in front of me. Um, but even within bad churches, there's still you know good people, right? And um, what a tremendous testimony that is to stay in a bad church where doctrine is not necessarily being preached, and being faithful. Uh, and praying and, and being the light in a dark place. Um, and so there were these people all along, but the, the denomination was sliding further and further and further. And the thing with liberalism, and I go over this in the podcast on liberalism, but it's so hard to see where it starts, where it stops. It's such a subtle shift when liberalism comes because liberals will come 
as cult leaders will, um, saying all the right things. They'll come saying they worship Jesus. They'll, they'll affirm the full trinity. They'll, they'll affirm um, that they are passionate about scriptures. They'll affirm sola scriptura, sola gracia, all the affirmations of, um, of the Reformation. But what they mean by all those things is radically different. And um, liberals will come in uh, through education, uh, through, I make it sound uh, like it's this organized takeover. I don't mean to say that there's people out there to get you necessarily, but these ideas come in uh, and, and it's a slow shift. But as this slow shift was happening, the whole gay movement happened, the whole LGBT thing happened. And at the same time that I was writing and blogging on it in 2008-2009, uh, well, even before that, um, it was hitting the scene, uh, as we used to say in the construction yard. That's when everything hit the fan. Um, because this was an issue where um, J. Gresham Machen, in his book uh, Christianity and Liberalism, says that the tree of liberalism and the tree of conservative Christianity, which he considers are two different religions, uh, their branches interlock. And so sometimes it's hard to see which one is which. Are you liberal or are you a real Christian? But the roots grow in different soil. Uh, and, and the root is, for liberalism, um, there are no miracles. For a Christian, miracles exist. Miracles happen. God speaks. God is true. Uh, Jesus is God. Jesus died for our sins. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Uh, the gospel is real. Uh, whereas for a liberal, well, miracles don't really happen. Um, the Bible is kind of good advice for us. Jesus was a good moral teacher. Let's just kind of leave a question mark on whether he was actually God or not. Uh, we can, you know, call it a, a dialectic or, a, I don't know, uh, a mystery or something. Uh, whether or not that's the only way to God, well, you know, I can't be arrogant about that. Uh, maybe there's other ways to God. Um, and, you know... You could, the, the liberals and the conservatives could kind of get along to a certain point. Um, but the flashpoint was what about homosexuality? And this becomes, um, I wrote a blog post uh, in 2009, I think, or 10, uh, on how homosexuality is a litmus test of orthodoxy. And I said it's not, it's not like the Trinity that it is um, a doctrinal, like essential. You can be wrong on that and still be a Christian. But I said it's a litmus test, which means when you dip a Christian into that issue and take the note, you're going to find out whether they're a liberal or a conservative. That issue will tell you all sorts of things about um, what their doctrines really are. Because, especially when there's so much cultural pressure, as there you know, was back in 2010, and even today it's even gotten more so, when there is so much cultural pressure to redefine what it is to be a man, what it is to be a woman, the only way that you can stand against that, you know, and I've wrestled with that too, where I'm looking at, and it really looks like the science is saying this, but the Bible is saying that. So a liberal has no problem saying, well, the Bible was written a long time ago. Uh, you know, we take things, we don't take things literally, it's all metaphor. They just throw out whatever they don't want. 
Whereas a conservative says, look, miracles happen. God speaks. God is truth. God is the creator. He made gender. He made male and female. Jesus said, have you not read that in the beginning he made them male and female? Um, and, you know, there's, there's even more specific verses on, on gender in the Bible. And so this became a point at which conservatives said, I have followed you, Mr. Liberal Bishop, Mr. Liberal Pastor, for so far, but past this point, I cannot follow you. And uh, for anybody that has, has seriously tried, I mean, there's people that just are biblically illiterate and say, well, I guess it's not really an issue. But for anybody that has seriously tried to wrestle with the, with the issue of homosexuality from scriptures, I think what they will find is that you cannot be a conservative Christian and say that, you know, um, that marriage is anything other than one man and one woman for life. Um, I get that there's a lot of diversity and there's a lot of scriptures that are are less clear and more clear. There's scriptures that are more important, less important in how they're presented in the Bible. But this one is very clear. And this one is presented as being very, very important within scriptures. And so if you're going to waffle on that, if you're going to say, um, I'm a conservative Christian, but just I don't you know, hold to a traditional view of scriptures on, on gender or on homosexuality, the price you have to pay is so high that if you're consistent, I don't see how you can say scripture, say anything about ethics, anything about morality, and really anything about salvation. Because you're going to have to basically say uh, that none of the ethical standards within scriptures apply to us at all. Uh, and maybe in a future podcast, I'll flesh that out a little bit. Um, and so what did they do about it? They waited and waited and waited for the Archbishop of Canterbury to um, do some disciplinary actions towards bishops that were openly embracing and, and putting forward as deacons um, you know, homosexual people or embracing homosexuality or marching in gay pride parades um, when these things were so clearly against scriptures. That wasn't happening. And so um, there was a movement within it, the Anglican Church, and they met in Jerusalem um, around 2005, I believe, and it was called the GAFCON, um, the Global Anglican Futures uh, Conference. Um, and 80% of Anglicans were represented at that meeting, and they all affirmed that Anglicanism does not support uh, LGBTQ whatever the letters are now, does not, the, the Anglicanism believes that marriage is one man, one woman for life. Um, and, and this is what they affirmed at this meeting, GAFCON. Archbishop of Canterbury uh, didn't go, didn't, didn't approve of it. And in the words of, of one of the people, like I talked to a bunch of people, my experts are, um, are various deacons and friends that I, I met at the conference, and the one person just said, well, the Archbishop doesn't like it, he doesn't approve of it, and he doesn't, um, he doesn't, doesn't recognize it as an official conference that happened. But 80% of Anglicans were there and were represented. A really interesting thing within Anglicanism is that um, most, by population, most Anglicans 
are in the global south. Most of them are in Africa. A lot are in Asia uh, and in uh, South America. Whereas most of the money and most of the leadership is in Europe and North America. And so this 80% that was represented was not necessarily the leadership, it was not necessarily the money, but it was the people, and especially the people of um, you know, many of these third and second world countries. And so they, they put forward this statement that said, look, this is what we believe as Anglicans, and this is what real, true Anglicanism is. Um, and it just kind of became this thing that is out there. Now, the Canadian church, uh, the Canadian Anglican church, um, was probably running even further ahead than the American uh, Anglican church, if possible. Uh, and it put a lot of pressure on conservative Anglicans to say, okay, we can't, we can't do this. We can't be under bishops that are, um, that are affirming things that are not godly and that are promoting things that are not godly. And the homosexuality issue was just one issue among many um, that had been compounding over the years a very low view of scriptures, um, an obscuring of the gospel, um, uh, a wandering away from, from essential doctrines uh, such as you know, the holiness of God, the, the wickedness of sin, and, and the reality of hell, and things like that. And so uh, there was this thing called, and this is kind of weird, but because Anglicans did not want, they didn't want to cut, to split, and this is what people told me is that the uh, Anic actually split, that it was a uh, protest denomination, um, which totally made sense to me from, you know, a midnight Baptist heritage. I mean, if, if you don't like your denomination, just make a split, you know. Um, but Anglicans didn't want to do that. They wanted to stay within the Anglican denomination to change it from within uh, and to try and, and, and rescue and save this denomination, which had been a life-giving and a vital denomination for so many years for so many people. Um, and so they were looking for somebody in higher leadership that, that would step out and say, you can be a conservative um, group under me. And the only person that did this, the only way that this happened was there was this thing called the Southern Cone. And I asked for clarity on what the Southern Cone was. The best I understand is this was a, a grouping within Anglicanism out of South America. And somebody in South America that was high up in the ranks said, I'll provide spiritual covering and blessing for a new, a new uh, diocese. Um, and so um, Bishop Charlie is about the only guy in leadership that I know. Um, and a few other people said, we're going to go for it. And so they started a new um, province, it was called. Uh, and they made it for North and South America um, because, or sorry, uh, America and Canada uh, because um, it seemed at the time that it was easier to put the two of them together, uh, strengthen numbers, uh, and they were going to make a new conservative province for North America um, so that Anglicans that, that felt like they couldn't in good conscience keep going to church would have some place to go. So this started a huge firestorm uh, within uh, the North American church, Anglican church, um, and it ended up being extremely painful and difficult for Anik. I, I imagine it was probably difficult for the other side too, um, but it ended up being a lot of legal battles, um, 
and Anik ended up being on the losing side uh, and losing all their buildings um, except for one or two. I think they won the lawsuits on one or two buildings out of you know, 20, 30. I'm not sure how many they lost. Um, many pastors were um, just treated very harshly. Some of them were, they no longer had an office. They had to, you know, their office was the hallway sort of thing until they resigned, trying to be pushed into resigning. Uh, locks were changed on churches so the pastors couldn't get into their churches and all of a sudden it's like, oh, by the way, you've been replaced um, because possession is nine-tenths of the law, as they say. Um, there were people camping out, elderly people camping out in churches um, so that nobody could change the locks and, and lock them out so that they and their pastor would be barred from their own church. Um, and uh, people... Many of the, the bishops and, past and uh, priests were nearing retirement. Many of them saw health benefits removed and pensions removed. I mean, all of them did. Um, and in the face of this persecution, um, they went ahead with it and they said, we need to create a different province uh, within Anglicanism because they said, it's not us who have left. It's the other guys that are affirming things that historic Christianity has never affirmed. Um, and embracing things that historic Christianity has never embraced. And so, um, through all this, uh, the um, North American uh, Anglican Network, I think, what's it called again? Name? Uh, ACNA, Anglican Church of North America, was formed as a province, and then, um, actually I might have the order of that wrong, um, and then Anik was formed, I think maybe Anik was formed first, I'm not exactly sure on the politics of it all, but then, now Anik is Anglican Church, Anglican, Anglican Network in Canada, and then there's one in the States as well, uh, under the province that was started in this, under the Southern Cone, um, and so they find, they found kind of loopholes, and they paid a, a tremendous price, um, a, to stand for orthodoxy, B, to stay within the Anglican Church, um, and to not give up on the denomination. And this issue, okay, so this is how North America dealt with it. Um, internationally, this GAFCON thing happened, and the Archbishop of Canterbury can, can ignore it all he wants, but 80% of the Anglican Church was represented here. And you have... You know, Anglicans in Europe and North America that are absolutely, they will not bend on homosexuality and LGBTQ. There's no way they will bend. And then you have Christians, you know, such as uh, Anik, but also Christians all across Africa, all across South America, that will not bend on this issue. There is absolutely no way um, that, that these dear brothers and sisters are going to compromise truth and the Bible um, and so um, there was a conference. So this, this was the, the conference for ANIC. Um, and it was explained to me that there is a conference, a global conference for all Anglicans that happens in, uh, uh, in England, of course. Uh, Church of England has a meeting in England. And it was canceled this year. And, and my friend said, this is significant. It's only been canceled twice. Once for World War I, once for World War II, and now it's been canceled again. That's how dire the split is uh, in Anglicanism. Um, and something's got to give. 
something's got to give. What is it? What is the future? Uh, are they going to try to make the Noah's Ark, the, the interpretation of Anglicanism broad enough that, you know, um, what I would call liberal Anglicans and conservative Anglicans, there's room for both and somehow confessionally try to embrace both. Um, it boggles the mind to, to think how one could even do that because the conservatives are saying scriptures are inerrant. The liberals are saying scriptures are not inerrant. The conservatives are saying marriage is one man, one woman. And the liberals are saying marriage is whatever the heck you want it to be. Um, or are they going to side with one or the other and excommunicate one or the other? Uh, and again, one has all the ecumenical authority or the ecclesiological authority and all the money. The other one has all the people. So what's, what's the future of Anglicanism? I don't know. Um, but I can say I was very impressed with Anik. Uh, I was, I've been very impressed with my little church. Little church, we have like 30 to, it might be 50 people kind of affiliated with the church. We have about 30 people that show up, 30 to 40 people that show up for every Sunday. Great fellowship, great people. Um, spirit of humility. Tremendous spirit of humility. Um, that is, is rare. It's hard to find. Um, came into this church, as I mentioned off the top, really hurting, like really, really hurting, ministry hurt. I don't know if anybody has experienced ministry hurt, but we were, we were hurting in ministry. Not that people were mean to us, but it had been a, a tough road, you know, and we were dealing with burnout and depression, and, um, and we came to this church and were embraced and loved, uh, and even though, you know, we're kind of Mennonite Baptist background completely embraced uh, and lots of people from various denominations and faiths are coming in not faiths, all Christian um, and feel loved and feel embraced in this church um, and it's the same sort of a thing I found in the larger denomination and I think it comes from the leadership of Bishop Charlie uh, who's a guy that's been through our church a few times and then he's, he's kind of in charge of, of Anik of the Canadian Thing. You would never know it. He's, he's just like, hey, buddy. <laughs> you know, he, he, you kind of feel like you could say that to him. Um, and He's just that kind of guy. You know, he's just a guy. Uh, and yet he's in charge of all of Canada, uh, Anik. And he's got a real sweet, gentle spirit. And I really appreciate him. And I really appreciate Jess Cantillon that, that founded the church and also Matt Court that uh, is leading it right now. Um, so that being said, I know that there's friends listening back home that are Mennonite, that are Baptists, that are Pentecostal, that are brethren, that are saying, how in the world can you go to an Anglican church? <laughs> Don't they baptize kids? Don't they have, like, communion every Sunday? Don't they, like, have crazy, um, you know, stuff that they wear? And it's all legalism and formalism and, and you know, uh, they don't have extemporaneous prayer. They, they recite all this stuff and... It's all from the head. It's not from the heart. Like, how can you go to the Anglican church? You know, I mean, I'm just assuming people are thinking this because this is what I was thinking before I went to an Anglican church. Um, by the way, I had huge numbers of uh, stereotypes about what Mennonites were before I went to a Mennonite church. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that worked out all right. Uh, once I actually went and found out that um, there's dear people of God within Mennonite churches, Hey, guess what? There's dear people of God within Anglican churches, too. 
All right, so I'm going to conclude this podcast here, and then the next podcast is going to be on um, answering these questions and these preconceptions about Anglicanism and my personal uh, response to um, how I feel about liturgy um, and having a more developed liturgy in the church, uh, as well as baptism and how I feel about having baptism. I mean, uh, communion and having communion or the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, a more dominant part of the church service. Um, And finally, talking about baptism, which is kind of the big one, uh, and talking about how I feel about infant and children being baptized. Uh, So that'll be the next podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you've enjoyed this. This is Josiah Meyer for the No Longer Be Children podcast. Have a good day. Bye.